1: I'm going to be the man who up next to you
0: when I go out. Yeah, I know I'm going to be. I'm going to be the
1: man who goes along with you if I get done. Oh, man. Here we go. We got to talk about it. We may not want to, but we do. Oklahoma football flailing on the season. Not failing, but flailing five and five. Um Opportunity to go seven and five if they win the last two, which is there's not a lot of confidence out there that they will do that. But if they do, 7-5, and five, hey, that was Bob Stoops' record his first year at the University of Oklahoma. So at least Brent Venables can say, hey, I didn't I do didn't worse than Bob Stoops did his first year. Uh, and then everyone will talk about what Bob Stoops did his second year. And it doesn't look like Oklahoma's on target for that. But you never know. Um, you know, here's the thing it's just not fun to talk about bad football. And and I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the podcast, um, trying to get caught up and looking over the loss to West Virginia, looking at some of the things going into the Bedlam game. Um, we're going to talk later on about the odds, but the, the fact that OU is a seven and a half point favorite over Oklahoma State just blows my mind, but that's neither here nor there. Um, this is the first time since I started doing this, since I, I, I mean, obviously I'm not credentialed in the media anymore, but since I've been pursuing this, this is the worst OU football has ever been. I mean, I, I I know you had like 2009, that was the same Bradford year, right? You know, the same Bradford goes out against BYU in that first game. Landry Jones comes in as a freshman. That, that was a bad year, but the Sooners were able to rebound and and win the uh, Sun Bowl, I just don't know the OU's looked this bad. I, I don't know if there has been this much of a lack of confidence. Because even that 2009 team, you could that was a good defense. That was a championship caliber defense on that 2009 team. It's just the offense, the offense flailed. I guess that's twice I've used that word. So maybe my time is up on that one, um, and and that it, it's opposite this year. I mean, the, the offense isn't superb. I mean, the, don't don't get me wrong; the offense isn't on par with what we've seen in in years past. But it's the offense is has been up until Saturday. The offense has been good enough to win games, and then you 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 finally have a game where the defense plays adequate, not great. Not absolutely hot garbage, but somewhere in between great and hot garbage. And your offense just putters along. And th- shockingly, this was the first game where Oklahoma's offense looked just, it looked putrid. And t- to me, that was the most frustrating part of that game, that loss in Morgantown on Saturday. And, and you we know, don't look, we're going to, this, this is Thursday when I'm recording this. And, uh, this this loss has been regurgitated over and over again through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday that I don't really want to talk a lot about it because truthfully, we're we're going to get into West Virginia with your true or false statements. And you guys on point on point. Great job uh, with your true or false statements. We're going to get into that. Um, but here here's here's the thought. OK, here, here's my recap of West Virginia. This is just not a good football team. Oklahoma is not a good football team. It's time to embrace the horror. It's time for Oklahoma fans across the board just to say, you know what? We're not that good. And I think time has run out on hope, okay? Because you, you're you officially mathematically eliminated from the Big 12 championship race. and And I think... Since Texas, probably Oklahoma fans, the more logical portion of the Oklahoma fan base has said, no, Big 12 championships not happening for Oklahoma this year. Second year in a row, they're not going to qualify. But I, I think you still had a hope of a rebound. You know, you can go seven and four. You can, but you, you lose on the road at West Virginia against a team that's probably going to fire their head coach. This was a, there's, there's no, it was a bad loss and that makes this a bad team. They're just not good. And then there's plenty of blame to go around. People want to blame the coaches. I'll let you have it. But we also have to, if you're going to blame the coaches, if you're, if you're going to throw blame at them, you got to at least call out the execution of the players. This team does not execute. I mean, you're 10 games through the season, and this is not a new topic. This was brought up before West Virginia, but it continued. Guys on the defensive side of the ball still can't get in the right alignment. 10 games into the season. And and look, oh, that's on the coaches. The coaches got to teach them that. Okay, sure. So you really think, do you really think the coaches don't spend time in practice telling guys where to line up? I mean, do you really think that's happening at the University of Oklahoma? I never coached on the collegiate level. I coached junior high, I coached high school. Spent a lot of time on those levels showing guys where to line up. I would imagine that happens at the collegiate level. So if a coach spends his time showing you where to line up and this and this hey, we call this play, we call this stunt, we call this formation, and you can't get to the right spot. That's not on coaching. I'm sorry. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to allow
0: it. That's not on coaching. Penalties. That's not on coaching.
1: I mean, lining up across the football when you're when you're over the ball. Like you're literally over the ball. You are the nose guard. And you're lined up across the football. How's that on coaching? You're the defensive end. You're the widest guy on the field. And, and as a cornerback or a defensive end, you're looking down at the ball. How do you not know? The, if you're the corner or a safety wide, the, there's an official to your left or to your right, depending on which boundary
0: you're facing or which boundary you're against. And they tell you, where the line of scrimmage is. Holding, false starts. It's all there, guys.
1: I mean, think about think, think about the um the offensive pass interference
0: on Braden Willis. That was a good play call. It was a good play call. But where Braden Willis caught the ball was beyond the
1: line of scrimmage and where he's supposed to catch the ball is the behind the line of scrimmage. Everybody did their part. Dylan Gabriel put the ball where the receiver can catch it. Theo Weiss threw the block that took out two defenders. But the play didn't stand and you lose the touchdown because Braden Willis, who I admire, one of the better offensive guys that the Sooners have, he couldn't run the route behind the line of scrimmage like he's supposed to. It's execution. The execution of this team on both sides of the ball at, at times is just terrible. Drop passes, overthrow, overthrown passes. And I don't understand this. I, I, I said this in the post game at heartland-sports.com. I don't understand why Marvin Mims is above criticism. Are, are we really afraid? Oh, if we criticize Marvin Menz, he might leave. Is that really where we're going with this? And and really, it's kind of a a whole like we couldn't. There there was a portion of the fan base. I I, I don't get it. I don't. First of all, we have to admit, well, now we need therapy, right? Because we're we're in a bad spot as a fan base because we're not used to this. Two generations have passed since Bob Stoops arrived. And all this fan base has known for 20-plus years is winning. You win Big 12 championships. You won a national championship. You regularly play for national championships. You have Heisman Trophy winners. They've dominated the Big 12 since, since since the turn of the century. And so we're in a bad spot, and we don't really know how to handle this, but there's a portion of the fan base who hates everybody and wants everyone fired and all the scholarships yanked. There's a portion of the fan base who's like, just be patient with it. See what happens. It's just the first year of Brent Venables. And then there's a portion of the fan base who's in the middle. I think I'm probably in the middle right now. I, I think I'm reaching the point where there's maybe, maybe you have to see some sort of coaching change. Not, not the head guy. I'm saying I, I don't think you even touch Brent Venables for two more years after this. And I do think it's a rush to judgment on Brent Venables, but clearly there are things that are not working. Offensively, they're ahead of where they are defensively. Schematics seem to be worse on defense than they are on
0: offense. But we've got this also, we've got this portion of the fan base that's just hey, don't criticize anybody.
1: They they have feelings. They're players, they're kids. So don't don't criticize them. And then you've got that portion of the fan base who's, oh, criticize this guy, but not that guy. I I think pretty much at five and five with the loss to West Virginia, everybody's available for criticism at this point, right? Should they not be? I mean, I'm I'm a staunch defender of Brent Villables. I'm a staunch defender of Dylan Gabriel, but I've got some criticism. But my point is, if you're going to criticize Dylan Gabriel, I'll allow it. I mean, I don't care. But I I think if you're going to criticize Dylan Gabriel, you also have to criticize Marvin Mims, who's not having the type of season. Not only is he not having the type of season we expected him to have, but he's also just not having the type of season that's a standard that he set. And you go back to Saturday, you go back to Morgantown, you go back to that dropped pass. Oh, but Dylan Gabriel overthrew him. Yeah, I okay, I get it. I get it. But if we're going to talk about Dylan Gabriel, let's talk about the pass also that Dylan Gabriel put on the money that should have been a touchdown that Marvin Mims dropped. Right? Why can't we do that? Why can't we criticize... Guys who are not look, Davis Bevel is not a great quarterback. I'm I mean, look, I, I I'm sorry. I'm a season ticket holder. I can I I invest money into this program. I can say that. Backup quarterback, we don't have one. But after the after the Texas game, people are like, oh, you can't do that. He's a kid. You know what? That kid is probably making more money playing college football very poorly, I might add probably making more money playing college football this year than i'm going to make with my job oh you're just jealous no i'm just pointing out the fact that the days of amateur sports are over with when we're talking about college athletes particularly football players if that kid's going to rake in 50 to 100 grand for being on the team he should be functional when he gets on the field that's all i'm saying and if we can't point that out then i don't think we should be able to Talk about, you know, how much money these guys are making. But at the end of the day, man, this just, it's just not a good football team. I would say they're either adequate or slightly above adequate. And now, you know, look, we're going to jump into your true or false statements. And and when you look at a fan base, obviously they're going to be from many, many different angles. But they're going to be good because we got uh, everything from West Virginia to Bedlam included in there. We're going to talk about some basketball first. Then we're going to jump into True or False. We're going to give you our uh, picks for this weekend, uh, Big 12 action. Uh, This is the Sooner Nation podcast. All right, we do have your true or false statements coming up here in just a, a little bit, but let's, let's talk about some basketball for just a hot minute. Um, Oklahoma, after dropping the season opener 52 to 51 uh, against Sam Houston, the Sooners have come back and won back-to-back games. Uh, they 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 beat Arkansas Pine Bluff by eight, 66 to 58, and then their best performance of the season, UNC Wilmington, 74 to 53. Uh, in in both games, the Sooners got what they needed. They got scoring from not just their starters, but you get bench scoring, and you got like um, you got a guard coming off the bench, fifteen points. You've got your starters uh, with uh, sh- the Sheffield kid with with fifteen points, and Nolan with eleven. Remember Nolan and and uh, and Hill combined for one point, and that season opener. And and it, it, well, here's what it comes down to for me, in, in my opinion, when you when we're talking about this basketball team. This is going to be the no-dust statement, right? Of the entire podcast. When they make baskets, they're pretty good. When they don't make baskets, they're not very good. And I know that could be said across the board with basketball. But I think in year two of Porter Mosier, this is a team that's going to be, they're going to be defined, I think, as a defensive team that's streaky as a shooter, right? Defensive team that's streaky when they shoot from the floor. And we saw that. Against Sam Houston, they played great defense. And really, they played great defense in all three games. Sam Houston scored 52, which is the least amount of points a team scored against them this season long. Arkansas Pine Bluff, 58. UNC Wilmington, 53. So the lowest points they've allowed this season is the game they lost. Which is kind of crazy if you think about that. But now they've got South Alabama on the horizon Friday night. Still in the LNC. Then you got Nebraska after that. Still in the LNC. Before you finally go to Villanova on December 3rd. But when you, look, they, they, they lost the game they should have won against Sam Houston. Arkansas Pine Bluff, they, they took TCU to the wire. UNC Wilmington went toe-to-toe with North Carolina. And so those were games that were kind of, meh, you could win, you could lose. And, and honestly, after the same Houston game, you kind of expected a loss. Now you've got a game on, on Friday night that hands down you should win. I, I, we're not going to learn anything about this team for, for a little bit. Nebraska may teach them something or teach us something about them maybe teach them something about themselves with Nebraska's sitting two and one on the season. You go to the road in Villanova, that, that's not only your first road, you know, your first road test, but it's it's really one of the better teams, if not the best team you've faced to this point of the season. But, I mean, the, the big test is sitting there, what is it, December 10th in Tulsa? You got Arkansas? I
0: mean, when when you
1: see them play a top 10 team, you're going to know where this team is. Can they compete for the top half of the Big 12? That's something that looked fairly impossible after you, you lose to your season opener to Sam Houston. But I mean, look, time will tell. I, I, I think, I, I think we're, just naturally we're... We're we're probably too eager to write things off or to claim things as good. I mean, let let's here's two great examples. Oh, you football starts the season three and oh, we're pretty much putting them in the playoff, right? And then boom, you you'll, you'll, you 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 go two and five since the three and oh start. Basketball loses the first game against Sam Houston. Oh, we're not even making the NIT this year. That could be true. Could be true. But we, you, don't, you don't know. You got one guy on this team who's averaging double digit in scoring. And, and that's, that's the Sherfield kid. You, you're, you know, your transfer transferring. who was great off the bench for them the other night, he's averaging eight. Jalen Hill's average 8.7. Tanner Groves, 8.3. And you really want to see Tanner Groves get in the double figures. Danny Grove should be averaging a double double. He's at 8.3 and 9.7 rebounds. So I think the jury is still very much out on this Oklahoma team, and you go out and you run rule South Alabama. I mean, if you're going to beat UNC Wilmington by 21, you should beat South Alabama by 21. Will that happen? I don't know, but it should. So you've got this Nebraska game that's not going to be in the LNC. It's going to be on the ES, it's going to be on ESPN, which is your first real look at the Sooners on national TV. And and that that's probably when we're going to start it's probably where we're going to start seeing and forming good opinions about them. By the way, that game's in Florida. Um, I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I think I think as much as I want to say the ship has been corrected, you know, it's going in the right course. I just, I can't, right? I, I can't yet. And I, I don't think anybody realistically can. And, And unless they lose to South Alabama, I don't think we'll make a decision about the direction of this program after Friday night either. It's going to take a while, like everything else in Center Nation. We're going to need patience. Hey, that's a topic that's going to come up in our True or False, which is happening right after this. True or False segment, where you get to participate in the podcast by giving us your statements. I'll tell you whether they're true or whether they're false. Um, we got eight this week, um, eight statements from you guys, and they're the best. Uh, they're, I mean, actually, here's the deal. You know, we started this with uh, with just our host doing it. Then we turn it over to you guys, and we typically do five, but uh, because of the lapse in podcasting, we haven't done it in a while. So we, to have eight, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that. And um, here's how you can participate for the next podcast. If you want to give your thoughts on Bedlam or your thoughts before the Texas Tech game, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Um, you can find us on the website, uh, heartland-sports.com, where we have um, – Pretty much, you know, uh, one full page for every podcast that comes out. You could go old school and you can email us at heartland underscore sports at yahoo dot com. But um, here we go. Uh, Joey's going to get us started. True or false? Patience is wearing thin. Um, yeah, Joey, that's that's true, and um, and I think it's across the board. I mean, there there are people that haven't been happy. Since the first loss to Kansas State, and there, there are those in the fan base who have said right there on the spot, Kansas State, you lose that game. Brent Venables isn't our guy. Um, and there's no way you can know that. There's no way you can know it right now at 5-5. Five and five. If you want to be honest, uh, Brent Venables could be the next championship head coach at the University of Oklahoma, or he could be the next Howard Schnellenberger, John Blake type coach at the University of Oklahoma. We just don't know. The, the reality is that five and five, you don't you don't know. It's first year Brent Venables, and you don't know. We you what we do know in this moment is it's really not going the way we thought it would go. And but when I say we, I mean the fan base. In a moment of brutal honesty, we honestly don't know what Brent Venables thought and how he felt about this team. I, I know he's frustrated, I know he's disappointed. You can you can listen to his comments post game, midweek, and you know that they're searching for answers as well. But yeah, patience is wearing thin. And when you think about where where this has gone from the spring game through the first 10 games of the 2022 season, it's definitely gone backwards. And I think the reality is, here, here's what's frustrating, Joey. Here's where it kind of rubber meets the mo- road when you're talking about the mood of the fan base. I don't think anybody thought it was going to be this hard, fan base-wise. I don't think anybody thought the dip was going to be this low, f- fan base-wise.
0: And so there, there's your frustration. I don't think anybody thought it was going to take this long. I got news for
1: you guys. Next season, 2023, probably not a college football playoff contending type season. The hope is that they would build on whatever ends the 2022 season. Hopefully, it's not two losses. I mean, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you're, you're hoping worst case scenario is one and one to end the season. Best case scenario, you sweep Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. But hopefully, you build on on next season. And and then you, you go from there and you get better in 23. And then 24 is the year you really make your next push. But yeah, patience is wearing thin. Joey, you're you're absolutely right. That that's true. Uh Chris says uh Big 12 officiating is biased against Oklahoma. Look, like Chris, I, I I said on Twitter after that shot that CJ Colden took in the end zone that they they threw a flag and then they reviewed it. They picked the flag up. I said uh, on Twitter in a moment of just kind of capitalizing on that moment of frustration type thing. Hey, if you want to know, if you want to see if Big 12 officiating is slanted against Oklahoma, here it is right here. That was Saturday. This is Thursday.
0: And here's what I think. Here's what I honestly think I think Big 12 officiating is just bad. It's
1: bad this conference has bad officiating. Pick the sport, right? pick the sport football, basketball, baseball, softball. the officiating in the big twelve is garbage, and it's been that way for a long time. And I, I when I rank. When I rank officiating in college, I rank him by the worst because really you're only talking about the officials if it's bad, right? Because when the officials do really, really good, the officials are like a defensive back. Okay. When a defensive back is having a really, really good game, you don't really hear his name called because they don't look that way because they know that guy's not going to let our guy catch a pass. And when the officials have a really, really good game, you don't really talk about them. We are always talking about Big 12 officiating. You pick the sport, we're talking about Big 12 officiating. Now, Oklahoma and Texas fans have this excuse that since the Sooners and the Longhorns are leaving the Big 12 and moving on to the SEC, oh, it's just slanted and biased against our schools. I really don't believe that. I really don't, Chris. I I think this is false. I, I think... Big 12 officiating is inept. It is not good. And it hasn't been good. They didn't just get bad this year. And there have been plenty of games this year. Go back to TCU. There were calls, even though OU was never in that game after Dylan Gabriel got hurt. OU benefited from some really bad officiating in that game. And there's been other games. There's other times. And it's it just what I mean, that that was a terrible, terrible no call. Well, it was a call, and then you pick up the flag on, on what should have been not just unsportsmanlike conduct. It should have been targeting and it should have been offsetting. Instead, West Virginia gets a first down, ultimately scores a touchdown. But it's just ineptness of the Big 12 officials. Coaches can't say that. Players can't say that. But we as the fans, we can say that. They were bad before OU announced it's move to the SEC and they're going to be bad after OU moves to the SEC. It's just coincidence. And it's, it's, it's a good talking point, but it's not true. They're just bad across the board. Uh, number three, this comes from DG. Uh, Jeff Levy understands running up the gut against an eight man front is a bad idea. Uh, (laughs) Clearly, this is a shot of Jeff Lebby and the uh, play calling against West Virginia last week. And here's the thing. Here's my take on this. There's criticism to go across the board. Criticism to go across the board. But Jeff Lebby and this offense, they've been they've been better than Ted Roof, Brent Venables in the defense we we are we are spoiled to really good offenses those fast break kyler murray baker mayfield offenses we're spoiled to the superstars like caleb williams we don't really have those guys right now that we get to watch but this offense is it's it's going well and and the thing is is when things are going well you don't notice the chess moves, so to speak. I mean, it, it is a game of chess. We're going to move here and we're going to see how you react. So you're going to stack eight men. I'm going to throw Eric Gray right at you. I'm going to see if any of those eight have a, an assignment other than run support. Now, when I stack, you stack eight men and I put Eric Gray through the B gap. I know where your safety and your linebacker are looking. So hopefully I can slide somebody else underneath there. And we want to like throw our fists down on the table and our hands up in the air. And we're like, well, why doesn't that happen? How do you know it doesn't? I mean, was Marvin Mims not wide open? Twice? Was Braden Willis not there for a touchdown catch? I mean, those things happen. But again, it goes back to what I said at the top of the podcast, execution. So yes, DG, Jeff Lubby does understand that. But there is a little bit of gamemanship. It's, it, it's chess, not checkers, that they're playing. And and I, I look, I, I get it. Okay, I do. Everybody's mad at somebody. Everybody's upset at somebody. Everybody's disappointed in somebody. I think everybody should be mad, upset, and disappointed with everybody. That's, that's honestly with the way it is. But if you're picking, if you're honestly, I mean, this is just my opinion because it's my podcast. If you're picking somebody that you're going to be upset with somebody that you want to call out after a loss, I don't know that Jeff Levy's high on my list because I could call out some defensive guys. I could call out some other offensive guys. I could call out some defensive coaches. I mean, there's a list that I would have to go through to get to Jeff Lebby. He's not at the top. Because you look at execution, it's not there. Execution is not there on the field. And we're going to get to that here in just a minute. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Um, Nick says this, true or false, OU will make a bowl game. Nick, I'm a a glasses half full type of guy. OU needs one more win. They've got two opportunities to pick up that one more win. In the last podcast, I talked about the value of the bowl game and why OU needs to get there. I think this is a team that's that's kind of at its its wits end with themselves. I think they have to look in the mirror. Players are telling them to look in the mirror, former players. Um, I think they rally one of these last two games, if not both of these last two games. So, Nick, I'm going to say true. I, I say they make it to a bowl game. Uh, You got to go back to 1998, which I would be willing to bet that a lot of people who listen to this podcast, a lot of people who are going to pack that stadium on Saturday night, weren't even around, weren't even aware of OU football in 1998, the last time they didn't go to a bowl game. So just by odds and and tradition and history, I got to go with true. I got to go with the fact that they will make a bowl game. And I understand, I understand that's a long way off. Hey, Mark says this true or false, Brent Venables was out of his element and out coached on Saturday. Um, I don't know about the out of his element part. That that's the one part I don't I don't get here, Mark. Um, but I, I do think there were some questionable coaching moves. I know a lot of people were upset about the field goal, or the yeah the field goal attempt there and instead of going for it on fourth down. I I said this in the post game on our on the on the website. The field goal attempt was the right move. Oh, but it was raining and it was cold. I, I get it. I understand the weather conditions were not perfect, but neither was Oklahoma on third and fourth down. They were one for eleven on third down. I think they were zero for two on fourth down. So it's one for thirteen on second, on third and fourth down statistically, the odds were in favor of this guy kicking a field goal as opposed to them trying to get a first down on fourth. And Brent Venables even said as much after the game. He was like, look, we weren't, we weren't getting it done. We weren't executing. That sounds familiar because I think that's been a popular theme throughout this podcast. So, yeah, I mean, again, a hot topic this week is Brent Venables is a first year head coach. He's going to make mistakes. I don't really understand the out of his element part because the guy's been around football for longer than a lot of us have been alive. But as a head coach, does he trust Ted Riff too much? Is he giving enough input? I know people want to see him have the meltdown crazy Brent on the sidelines. I'm okay if he doesn't do that. I really am. It doesn't bother me if he does do it, but it doesn't bother me that he's not doing it. I think he's just trying to coach the guys up. And maybe he does trust the coordinators too much. Maybe he needs to be in Jeff Lebby's ear and say, hey man, you've got the top running back in the Big 12 at your disposal. just run the football. Maybe he needs to be in, in Ted Roof's ear, man. Let's blitz. Let's get some pressure on the quarterback because these guys aren't as good when they're getting hit and knocked around. So um, I, I don't know, Mark. I, I, I'm i going to say true because you, you kind of saw things just not go well on Saturday in Morgantown. And, and I think everyone's to blame. I think there's, I, I do think, I will say this. I think there were more execution errors in that game than there were coaching errors in that game. And as a coach, as a play caller, as a, as a guy who's setting a strategy, you got to be able to trust the, the 11 men on the field to do what you need them to do if you call a certain play. And I think the offense lost that trust. I I think they lost the trust of this coaching step. Oh, well, there it is. You can't coach if you can't trust. Okay, look. Tell me how you go one of 13 on third and fourth down, and yet you still earn the right for the coaches to trust your execution? I, I mean, I just don't get it. I mean, I don't. Um coaching's not perfect, but. Look, there's a reason why. Uh, go 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 look at Twitter. Go look at former players. Brian Asimo and Nick Bowens, uh, you know, Nick Harris. I said Nick Bowens. Um, <laughs> Nick Harris. Um, those guys are they're all saying, Hey, this isn't on coaching. Players need to look in the mirror. You you got guys uh like Braden Willis. Who is saying things like, hey, I, you know, look, I'm I, this senior year hasn't gone the way that I had hoped for it to go. But at least I get to be a part of building what's, what was the Brent Venables era here. I get to be a part of laying that foundation. I think everybody still believes in the coaching staff, except for a certain part of the fan base. And when current and former players are talking up to coaches and saying this is on players... I got to go with them over the fans because they certainly know a whole lot more um, about football and the program and the state of the program than your average fan does. I'm sorry. I went a long time on that one. Um, here we go. Dar Daryl says um, true or false. The best part of bedlam will be the recruiting opportunity. So I guess Daryl's counting this up as a loss. Um, sometimes you reach that stage as a fan where, you can lose and still have fun at the game. Not often. I mean, but sometimes you do. Sometimes you, you go to a game and it was so incredible uh, that they lost. Uh, but the game itself was so incredible. Um, I know I've been there, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. But this is a good recruiting opportunity for Oklahoma. They're going to have another shot at David Hicks. He'll be on campus. Of course, everybody knows Peyton Bowen committed to Notre Dame. He's going to be on campus. Um, Draymond, uh, uh, Damian, goodness gracious. Damian Sanford is a guy who's also committed to Texas A&M. He's an edge guy, uh, linebacker. He's going to be on campus. Um, that, I mean, look, uh, DJ Hicks is a five-star Bowen's a four star, uh, Stan- Sanford's a four star. You've got some good guys on campus this weekend and you got a chance to lock up some things. If you go back to September and you tell the Oklahoma fan base, Hey, the, just be patient in November, uh, you know, just, just a, a month out from signing day, you're going to have another, another shot at David Hicks. I think we would have all, all accepted that after he made the uh, Texas A&M commitment. So, um, it is a good a good recruiting weekend. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be the best part because I, I don't know it's a guarantee you get any or all these guys. I, I don't know. I think that Bowen is definitely in play. I think Hicks is either playing the recruiting game or he's in play. It's just going to be a matching funds type situation for him. Uh, the, the, the kid, the other linebacker, Sanford, um, he's definitely in play. I just don't know to where. Um, so – I I'm still holding out hope that Oklahoma gets a bedlam win. I'm holding out hope that this is going to be an epic fun game, but, um, but if OU loses and they, they lock up some of these guys. Yeah, that, that could be fun. That that could be the best part of the weekend, but um, I'm certainly not looking forward to that being the best part of the weekend. So Daryl, I'm going to say that's false because I'm still holding on that the game on the field actually lives up to the hype and and produces a winner. Um, Paul says this, 2021 OU was closer to this 2022 version than we actually realize. Paul, you are onto something right here, my friend. You are definitely onto something here. Because you, you think back about 2021 and, and think about what this team went through. So you had the loss in Bedlam. You had the loss uh, against Baylor at home, Right. Then you got the big comeback win against Texas. You almost lost to Kansas. You almost lost West Virginia. This this is the team in 2021 that was a few incredible plays from a few incredible players away
0: from three, four, five losses. And... And then when you consider what's not here,
1: I mean, you think about it, Caleb Williams, and I know we don't want to talk about him, but he is a talent and, and he was the hero of the Texas game. He's not here anymore. Nick Benito, not here anymore. Perry Winfrey, not here anymore. Isaiah Thomas, not here anymore. Jaden Hazelwood, not here anymore. Austin Stogner, not here anymore. See so and you think about it, you had key guys, right? I mean, they they struggled against Nebraska. What was it, a seven point win against Nebraska? Three point win against West Virginia. Struggled at Kansas State. There weren't there were not a lot of comfortable wins. Iowa State wasn't comfortable. And then you remove the coaches, you remove the players, the, not just players as an average guys you remove star power from this team
0: yeah with those with those guys on that team that could have been eligible this
1: year think about nick bonito could have been on this team isaiah thomas could have been on this team perry and winfrey could have been on this team how much better does that defense get with those three guys Jaden Hazelwood could have been on this team. Caleb Williams could have been on this team. How much better? Austin Stogner. How much better is the offense with those guys? So I think you're onto something here, Paul. I think you're right. I think this is true. I think that, this, that the 2021 version of this team, not only were they were they closer than what we realized. I'll, I'll go a step further, Paul. I'll say the 2021 Oklahoma football team that only lost two games I would say they were closer to what we're seeing in 2022 than being a playoff contender.
0: I mean that that's that's a great thought, not what I just said, but Paul getting the conversation started.
1: So spot on, Paul. Uh, here we go, Chuck. <laughs> here here's our doomsday. Chuck says, "OU doesn't stand a chance in Bedlam." Yes, they do, Chuck. This is false. Um, I, I think. Um, I I think rightfully so a lot of Oklahoma fans are not happy with what the way things are going. I think rightfully so a lot of Oklahoma fans can, can look at this as being a five and five team and go, how in the world would anybody think that they have a chance to beat Oklahoma state? Well, here's how Oklahoma state's not, not an exceptional team. They're seven and three and they're, they're close. They are close to being five and five. Oklahoma is a seven and a half point favorite in this game for a reason. Odds makers, they know a lot more than we do. And, and when when you look at just let's just look at at some things here, okay. Statistically, Oklahoma State scoring 35 points, 34.9 points per game. OU is 31.9. Three-point advantage for OSU. Oklahoma State's defense statistically is giving up more points. Now, it's close, but they're giving up more points, 30 points per game to OU's 29.1. Oklahoma produces more offensive yards per game, 456, OSU 414. Oklahoma State's defense allows more yards per game, 452.9 to 432.3. Passing yards allowed, Oklahoma State gives up more, 289.8 to 232.1. So there there are a lot of comparisons between these two teams. Last five games, we all know Oklahoma is two and three in the last five games. Guess what? Oklahoma State, two and three in the last five games. So there's a lot there that would make you give – make you – Think that there's hope for Oklahoma to win this game, but there's also a lot, of, a lot there that makes you think oh, OU has no chance. I, I get it, I get where you're coming from, Chuck, but I think it's absolutely false to think that the Sooners don't stand a chance in this game. In fact, if you hang on, we'll go to this final segment of the podcast. I'm gonna give you the advantages for OU and OSU, and I'm gonna give you a score prediction as we break down Bedlam and the Big 12 Rundown in the last segment. All right, here we go. Bedlam football, 6.30 p.m. Saturday night, ABC National Broadcast. Oklahoma, seven-and-a-half point favorite. Over-under on this game, 66-and-a-half. I'm going to give you my thoughts we're going to go, uh, go through the Big 12 rundown and give you my score prediction. ESPN matchup predictor has Oklahoma with a 61.4% chance of winning this game. You compare the uh, the leaders, um, Spencer Sanders, 2,261 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Dylan Gabriel, 2,217 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, 4 interceptions. Both of these guys – have missed time this season with injuries. Uh, the, the, the Richards kid for Oklahoma State, uh, 543 rushing yards, eight touchdowns. Eric Gray, 1,113 rushing yards, 10 touchdowns. Um, uh, Braylon Green, receiver for Oklahoma State, 573 yards, five touchdowns. Marvin Mims, 776 in yardage. Four touchdowns. We said both games, uh, both teams, are over the last five games are two and three on the season. When you when you look at the advantages between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, I think there are some clear advantages, and I think there are some question marks. For for example, let's take the offensive side of the ball. I, I think Oklahoma has a clear advantage; they have the better offensive line between the two schools. Oklahoma, better offensive line, but what about the quarterback? When you look at Spencer Sanders versus Dylan Gabriel, there's not a lot of difference between those two guys. And I know Spencer Sanders was your your Big 12 all-conference selection. Probably not going to be that guy postseason. I think Max Duggan pretty much has that wrapped up. But there's not a lot of difference between Spencer Sanders and Dylan Gabriel. And I think Spencer Sanders has kind of been dinged up, banged up. Two years ago, we saw him in Norman in a similar situation. He didn't finish that game. And if OU is not putting pressure, not hitting him, not putting, pushing him, not making sure he feels contact on every play, they're not doing their job. I, I, but I, I, think with a, I think as close as it stands, and I know this is going to go over and bring elation to some, and it's going to bring frustration to others. But I think in the quarterback duel here, you got to give a slight nod to Dylan Gabriel. Just based off of what they've done this season and the health, Dylan Gabriel is 100%. Spencer Sanders is not. He's somewhere between 50 and 100 and uh, you know, think about it. he he was the hero last week against Iowa State didn't look great in doing so, but he was the hero. He didn't even warm up in that game. So, um, so I think you give, yeah, I think it's very close, very, very close, but you give a slight nod. I think you give a slight nod to Spencer Sanders. I mean, to, to Dylan Gabriel in Oklahoma running back, hands down, Eric Gray is the better, the best running back in this game. And Oklahoma should lean on him early and often. He should be a focal point for the Oklahoma State defense. And that should soften things up and give OU opportunities at least for one-on-one matches against a very suspect secondary that Oklahoma State has. Which brings us to wide receivers. And that's, to me, that's, that's, there's two, there's two position groups that are really, really difficult for me to determine who is the better, who is the latter. And wide receivers is one of them. You would think on paper, based on what we thought the season was going to be, it would be Marvin Mims and company. But I I mean, we've already talked about execution and drop passes and overthrows and all that. So I'm going to say that's even. Wide receivers are even. But if you give a, a, a nod to the quarterback, You give a nod to the offensive line, you give a nod to the running back, Oklahoma has the better offense in this game. Defensively, I don't don't think Oklahoma has that advantage because I I would take the Oklahoma State defensive line against Oklahoma's defensive line. Now, the good news is it's strength on strength. You've got a really good offensive line for the Sooners and a really good defensive line for the Cowboys. That's going to be a fun matchup to watch. Linebackers, I'll take Danny Stutzman. I'll, talk, I'll take David Igwebu. I know there's some rumors going around about Danny Stutzman. Uh, Danny Stutzman's father has said there's no drama. Brent Venable spent a lot of time in his press conference praising Danny Stutzman. I think we're just looking, grasping at straws. I mean, you, you hope that there's nothing to that, but nothing solid has come out of it other than hearsay. But but give me the Oklahoma linebackers as as an advantage. But I think you, I said there's two there's two position groups that I have a hard time giving the nod to. It's the wide receivers and it's the secondaries. Both of these secondaries have been torched at times this season. When you look at passing yards allowed, Oklahoma State's given up almost 300 passing yards per game on average. And while Oklahoma's not been great, 232 yards is what they're giving up on average. Now, some of that is because Oklahoma gives up 200 yards a game on the ground. But I, I, I think you call this a draw between these two. So you got an advantage for Oklahoma State on the defensive line. you got an advantage for Oklahoma on the linebackers. You've got a draw on the secondary. So that puts you kind of even. But if you look at that position group wise, suddenly Oklahoma has a little bit of an edge here. Now, special teams, especially after last week in in Morgantown, I don't know that you can have a lot of confidence in Oklahoma's kicking game right now. You want to, but when it comes, I can tell you this right now. You're in that stadium on Saturday night. It's cold. Oklahoma stalls out inside the red zone and you see the field goal kicker come in, you're probably going to be like, oh, no. Here comes the field goal unit, and we're not that good. And that's just where the, this team is, confidence are this fan base is, confidence-wise. Now, Zach Smith, is, he's hitting almost 70%. He's 69.2% on the season. But he's 0-2 at 50-plus four or five, 40 to 49 yards. Now within 30, within 30 yards, he's only attempted twice. So let's say within 40, within 40 yards, he has uh, made five out of six. So it's long distance. I mean, he's four out of five, 40 to 49. He's over for 250 plus longest on the season. It's 44 yards. So there's this mental Image here based off of last week that Oklahoma State might have an advantage there. I Brandon Presley, I, I'll be nervous every time Oklahoma has to punt to him. So I think just the mental aspect of that, you have to give a nod to Oklahoma State when it comes to special teams. Here's the scariest thing for me as an OU fan. This game's gonna come, in my opinion, this game's gonna come down to execution and opportunity. And we have spoken and spoken and spoken about execution in this podcast already. But missed opportunity, that's been a thing for Oklahoma this season as well. And when you look at that, it, it's going to come down to execution and opportunity. Man, that's, that's got to leave a little bit of an unsettling feeling, right? So how's it going to shake out? Well, let's go through the Big 12 rundown, shall we? Let's talk about the games that are going to take place on Saturday, and then I will give you my Bedlam score prediction. TCU Baylor get everything started on Saturday morning with the early game at 11 a.m. kickoff for that one. And um, you've got the Frogs on the heels of their big win in Austin last week. A, a two-and-a-half point favorite over Baylor. Uh, this, is, this is in Waco. There's always that opportunity. I I keep saying this about TCU. I keep saying it. There's always that opportunity for a letdown. I don't think so this week. I don't. I've bought in, which probably means this is the week TCU takes it on the chin. Because I finally bought in at number four. The TCU is the Big 12's best hope for a playoff contender. Hands down the best team. They've solidified their shot. At Arlington, if there was ever going to be a letdown, it's this weekend. I don't see it happening. Over-under on this game is 57. I think the game hits the over, and I think TCU covers 2.5 points at Baylor. 1 o'clock kickoff. Kansas State goes to West Virginia. How do you follow a win over Oklahoma? where well, you host the number 15 team in the country on your home turf. Kansas State, 7.5-point favorite. 54.5 is your over under. I'm I'm going to take the over here at uh, at 54 and a half. I I think I think West Virginia comes out swinging. They 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 may have found their mojo with this green kid at quarterback. This is some, maybe a new identity for the Mountaineers. Maybe something that's a little bit of a struggle for Kansas State to grasp a hold of early. So so give me the the mountaineers to cover the wildcats to win and the over texas at kansas i hope this is everything we want it to be longhorns are a nine point favorite on the road at in lawrence i'm going to take kansas in those nine points i think this is a dogfight i really do i think there's a lot of pride on the line i think there's some things going wrong uh with texas i think xavier worthy is not happy i think Bijan robinson is not happy i think there's some chemistry issues I'm not saying Texas loses this game. What I am saying is that this is a dogfight to the very end that probably comes down to a late field goal. But you got an over-under set at 63-and-a-half. I think you're right there. I think you're right there on the money line. Um, I would push the over here, barely. I barely push the over here. Give me Texas to win. Give me Kansas to cover nine. Give me the over. Texas Tech at Iowa State, six o'clock kickoff, FS1. Cyclones are three and a half point favorite at home against Texas Tech, and um, I think they. I think, man, I think they win by a field goal. Honestly, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm looking through here. This is this is a team that should have beaten Oklahoma State last week against a team that's looking for, like OU looking for that sixth win. Texas Tech five and five, three and four in the season. Iowa State has to win out to go to go bowling. I think the Cyclones have more fight in them. I like the I like the Decker's kid, seventeen touchdowns on the year. Uh, let's go Iowa State by a field goal, which means Texas Tech covers and let's hit the over on that forty-seven and a half. I guess I'm liking a lot of overs, and that brings us to Bedlam, six thirty kickoff, ABC. Oklahoma, seven and a half point favorite over under sixty six and a half. and a half. This is the one game where I'm going to pick the under. I think, I think I went over on every big 12 game, except for this one. Um, I think it's going to be under on sixty six and a half. and a half. Oh, is seven and a half point favorite. I think that's not going to happen. Give me Oklahoma state to cover seven and a half points, but give me Oklahoma to come out on top here. Something like thirty-four to thirty-one. Let's go. Let's make it even tighter. Let's go thirty-four to thirty-two as my bedlam prediction. Sooners squeak out a win and what is a uh, the shall we say exciting bedlam affair that uh, gets OU its sixth win and makes the Sooners. Bowl eligible tell me what you think hit us up on twitter at sports heartland find us on the internet heartland-sports.com uh we'd love to hear back from you hit us up with your true or false statements as we get ready to podcast for next week enjoy your weekend of college football everybody Be